Thank you so much for joining our Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. It's 2022. We have so many exciting events, gatherings, and opportunities for you around Generations Church. If you'd like to learn more about these opportunities, these events, these gatherings, head over to mygenerations.church to check them out. So what does it mean to be spiritual? How does followership of Jesus look in an era of postmodernism and deconstruction? We're getting back into our series on 1 Corinthians called Masterclass, where the Apostle Paul will help us navigate our cultural moment. Let's respond to the scripture and spirit together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 31, and I'm going to do my digital flipping of the pages here. Now about the virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do have an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do not get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such, but such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as, those, should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything, and those who use the world as though they did not make use of it. For this world in its current position is passing away. All right, here we go. Masterclass week, I don't know, what week are we on? Someone help me out here. We, someone's got to be keeping track because we're, uh, we're, we're making our way through this. Week 10, Masterclass. So if you are joining us today, don't worry if you're like, holy cow, we are on week 10. Where have I been or where has time gone as I often think? Um, don't worry, you can always go back and watch prior teachings, prior lessons uh, online via our YouTube channel, and I'd encourage you to do so. But remember, this is a master class on all of life. I try to start this, uh, this teaching series the same way each and every week, because lest we think that as we deal with these topics, as we deal with different issues, that I may be discriminating or cherry-picking. But the way we are doing is we're going through 1 Corinthians, and Paul is dealing with all kinds of issues within the church there in Corinth. And so he's going to deal with questions about faith and following God, questions on sex, marriage, politics, and philosophy. And we must be informed about and conformed to the likeness of Jesus. So as Paul writes to this church, his goal and his hope 
is not to be the expert or for me to stand up here and be the expert, but for us to stand and look and point to Jesus. And as we look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it will inform our life and we will also be formed in our character and priorities into the likeness of Jesus. Meaning the gospel, that good news, is not moral advice or a recipe for private spirituality, like making a soup or a stew on a gloomy day where you can just cherry pick the ingredients that you like. No, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus speaks to all of life and can provide that comfort and console for our soul. And so we're learning to think through all life in that way. Specifically, where we're jumping back in is our talk and our kind of segment of this letter on relationships. And so as we step back into the story, Paul has addressed some problems which he has heard about in the Corinthian church. But now he has transitioned to addressing some issues that they wrote him about. So first he got a report, and he's like, okay, let me address those problems first. They also sent a letter, and this is what he is writing back to in response to this letter. And so he's responding to everything at once. This letter would have been read aloud. And so people would have gathered together to hear Paul's words. And the section that Paul is in is discussing the perspective of becoming what you are. You are a loved child of God. Therefore, you should live as if that is true. And because you are a loved child of God, you can remain in whatever situation you find yourself in to be as comforted and loved and to have your life shaped from the inside out, not chasing down another perspective or influence to bring something that is outside to be true about yourself, but rather to live that love and allow that to shape the circumstances and situations you are in. And what has happened is the Corinthians have kind of this idea, faulty idea, about relationships, sex, marriage, and singleness. And they have concluded, since Paul has wrote to them and said, hey, sexual immorality is not good. It's not God's best. It's outside of his design. It's bad. What their train of thought has been, as we looked at again last week, That sexual immorality is bad, therefore sex is bad, and sex is to only happen in marriage, and therefore marriage is unnecessary, so let's not be married. So their argument was, if sexual immorality is bad, they trace that all the way through to say, why should we even be married? And Paul goes, no, no, no. Face palm. You're missing missing a point. You've got it out of line. And, And he makes an argument why marriage is beneficial. And why marriage is good. And as you hear that saying, wow, Paul, and the Corinthians, you went all the way from sexual immorality is bad to let's not be married. That escalated quickly. And Paul reframes the issue of sexual integrity. And how we as followers of Jesus should have every aspect of our life transform. So two weeks ago, we discussed sex outside of marriage. Specifically how when you surrender your life to Jesus... You are no longer your own, but belong to God. Last week, we discussed sex inside of marriage. 
how attachment to Jesus enables you to live loved by Jesus in whatever situation you find yourselves in. And then Paul moves into this next section, lest not to leave anybody out, the unmarried or the previously married. Because he is saying no matter where you are, no matter who you are, you have to navigate life filled with relationships. And there are voices and there are influences that inform us about how we should think about relationships, specifically romantic relationships. And so as Paul addresses this group of people within the Corinthian church, we need to understand how our own time and place color our perspective on what it means to be fully human. So even today, as I discuss and I share maybe a bent towards singleness, as Paul explains it, this message is not just for those of you who are single. It is for the whole church because sexual integrity, relationships, navigating romantic relationships is a family business. It is a family culture that we want to help live out God's will and way in the world. And you have people in your life who are single and who are married. And therefore, when we speak to each other, when we encourage each other on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis, my hope is that we as Generation Church don't just speak the words of influence from our culture because it sounds nice and good, but we speak the words of God coming from the Scriptures and how the Spirit works through those Scriptures. And so every era, every era of human history has answered the question on what it means to be fully human differently. In the 21st century, we are influenced by three major views of humanity. And that you may be thinking, like, Kyle, why are you getting into this? It's because these are very real and insidious influences. And if we are not careful, what the words that we find ourselves sharing, posting on social media, or encouraging others with may not actually be the words of God, but may be these outside influences. So first influence is postmodernism. It says that your truest self is discovered within oneself. That self must be actualized. Who you believe yourself to be must be realized and actualized and the truest self achieved. Who you are is inside of you and must be discovered. You hear those sayings all the time, catchphrase, and we're going to look at why that would not be the case as we look at Paul's words. Second, Marxism has influenced us that humanity is primarily materialistic, that your value has to do with economic well-being or stability, even if it's only your psyche. Third, Freud has influenced us that humanity is primarily sexual. Carl Truman, in The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, quotes Freud saying, man's discovery is that sexual love afforded him the strongest experience of satisfaction and, in fact, provided him with the prototype of all happiness. It must have suggested to him that he he should continue to seek the satisfaction of happiness in his life along the path of sexual relations and that he should make genital eroticism the central point of his life. Layman's terms, long story short, Meaning, what Freud's definition of what it means to be fully human is you are who you slept with, you are who you are sleeping with, you are your relationship status, you are your level of sexual fulfillment. 
And if you merge these definitions together in our age, then your concept of self in relation to singleness, marriage, or sex is defining yourself and your life, how you think, how useful it is, and how sexually fulfilled you are. Any notion of a relationship that could be more or a person can be more than their relationship status is disorienting. I believe it's disorient, this disorienting nature can be summed up in a single phrase. You complete me. Think about how many times in movies and words say that for you to be a whole human, you need someone else. You need another person to make you who you truly are. And that is, as Charles was saying earlier, a lie from the pit of hell. It is not you plus another that makes you who you truly are. You are a loved child of God precisely as you are, totally, fully, and completely. The challenge is, is to live like it and allow that to transform your other relationships. Friendships, marriage, dating life, even in your single state. And some of you go, I'm not sure that's real. Are people really still saying, you complete me? But it's there. Well, practically, this is why so many young pre-married couples are living together. They economically need another person to have a real sense of self in the world. For those of you who are single, financial pressure is real. In order to have a house, because there's a perception in that you have to have a house, in order to be established in the world, to be seen as credible, you have to have a spouse or another person or, or achieve some level. So what's happening is we're perpetuating a standard or the world is perpetuating a standard that you need someone else to achieve something, thus providing you have arrived. And it's a standard that is not found in Scripture. It's a standard that comes from the outside and saying, this is what you need to be. This is who you should achieve. And I'll talk here in a little bit that possessions and money and marriage is not bad. Seeking happiness is not bad. But when we make them the ultimate thing, when we make them the standard, we have misapplied the way of Jesus. And Christians aren't immune to this. Put a Christian spin on Marx, Freud, or the postmodern worldview, and you reduced our view of kind of marriage and fulfillment to a functional nuclear family with a husband and a wife and 2.5 kids being the gold standard. But as we seek to be transformed by the Spirit and the Scripture, pointing us to the way of Jesus, neither of those definitions, the world's definitions or that pseudo-Christian definitions are found. Meaning if we are not careful, no matter how well-intentioned you are, we will both propagate an image of well-being that's like chasing the wind. It will not happen, and we will find ourselves continually disappointed because the standard in our minds exists like a flying pig. Some of you wonder, when I was talking about marriage last week, we were like, why, can't, why doesn't my marriage seem or feel like that? It's because there's been an outside influence about what the standard is that is not actually godly. And as we discuss singleness today, some of you who are wondering, what is God's will and meaning for my life? How should I relate to others? You've got this influence that says there's some standard about what it means to be truly happy, what it means to be truly Christian, that's not actually, again, found in Scripture. 
and you wonder why you're so disappointed and so discontented, it's because you're chasing after something that doesn't exist. Therefore, we must detox from these views. And the direction that we run isn't Dobson or Davies, it's Jesus. Paul does, does this when he questions, when there's questions that arise about marriage. Or in this case, the soon to be married. Our translations do a terrible job sometimes of describing the thought and words. So that word virgins that John almost chuckled about when he read. <laughs> you did a good job. You didn't chuckle as much as I thought you would. <laughs> really means like pre-married. Or kind of that, that's what it's getting at is those who are looking to get married. Those who are coming up in age. And he's honest about his perspective in saying, he says, I have no command from the Lord, meaning that Jesus did not explicitly say something about this issue. But I do give my opinion. And he filters his response through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul's words here, recorded and shared for us in the Bible, may be either normative for Christian life and faith generally, transcending all times and all situations, or it may be corrective, intended to address a particular issue in a particular context, without necessarily intending to have universal application. So when Paul says this, what he is doing, he's, he's practicing, saying, let me find the general principle from the life of Jesus and then see how it plays out in the Corinthian church. So firsthand, we get Paul sitting with the Spirit, the Scriptures, the Corinthian situation, and the Jesus stories. And while Jesus didn't directly address the Corinthian situation, he did address an eternal perspective on marriage that Paul cites here and says, as you think about this, whether you're single or married, have this in mind. Matthew 22, Jesus says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now you ask me what that last piece about that angels in heaven, I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend to know, but what I will say is what Jesus is trying to frame up is that there's a resurrection mindset that shapes our priorities now. So in light of Jesus, the question being asked in this church is, should I seek to get married if I am not married? And life is complex. And Paul notes in verse 26 that he says, I see a present crisis. Now, we don't know what Paul is referring to in terms of the crisis. But some scholars suggest there is a famine affecting the land. With regard to this, that a person should remain as they are. This is the point that he was just making about those who find themselves within marriages or less than ideal situations. When you are connected with Jesus, when you are connected with Jesus, you should remain as you are because you can find contentment in any situation. Here's his influence, and it's found in verse 31. The world in its present form is passing away. As you view your life, as you view your circumstances, as you view your situation, specifically in this case, he's referring to your relational status. It is good for you to remain as you are or think with that in mind. Why? Because the world in its present form is passing away. He's saying, have an eternal perspective. Think about your life, however long and beautiful it may be, is fleeting. 
It's temporary. It's short compared to eternity. The challenge will be is to let the eternal perspective step back in and shape our present moment. Now, 2,000 years later, Paul is either wrong about the passing of the world or is he talking about something different? He's not talking about the end of the planet Earth. He's said it here. It comes from the word that we know as schematic or form, meaning the patterns, the way of operating, and the ethics of this world will come to an end. So we feel, we feel so pressured in the moment. I talk about those influences. They feel so real and so tangible. And maybe they are. Maybe you have people who are vocalizing things in your life that are ungodly. But maybe just as you scroll on social media, there are words and there are phrases and there are things out there that make you feel pressured that, that, are, that are the wrong influence that are saying things should be different. No, that all there is is this life. And you should do what you can to make the most of it. One of my most frustrating phrases in the last 10 years is the phrase YOLO. You only live once. Because the reality is, is we don't only live once. We live for eternity. Those in Christ, the end of death is not the end. It's a doorway that you pass through. When Jesus comes back and the resurrection is real, we will have all eternity. So no, you don't live once. It's not YOLO, it's YOLT. You only live twice for those of you in Christ. See, there are two ages. There's the present age and the future age. And much of the Old Testament viewed these ages as linear events. Then Jesus of Nazareth walks on the scene and demonstrated the overlap between the present age and the future age. And the future age is breaking into the world. And we live in the overlap because of Jesus. His death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit. Thus, we need to rethink all priorities. This isn't a new claim for Paul. Early in the letter, he established that people, followers of Jesus, are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. If we are embodying the overlap because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, then we should ask, should we live for the world that is coming or the world that is passing away? Answer. The way I'd hope you'd answer. It's the way, the one that is to come. And so Paul gives some examples of how this will play itself out. He provides three categories. First in marriage, Paul says in verse 29, from now on those who have wives should live as if they had none. He's not saying be lousy husbands in the name of Jesus. He's not saying that. He's not saying be lousy wives in the name of Jesus. Paul is saying is eternal perspective. Live as if eternity matters and is shaping your life. Therefore, because you are loved by God and you have the hope of eternity, how you respond to your spouse will be dramatically different than someone else who does not have hope. How you exist in a dating relationship or how you exist in friendships will drastically change because you have the hope of eternity and it will shape your interaction. And so, you should live as if you have none. So he's not saying don't seek a spouse. Get to that again here in a moment. But he's saying have that eternal perspective take root in your soul 
and allow that to determine your judgment. And again, the challenge that we face is we think that temporary is the ultimate. The temporary is what we are living for. And if we live for the eternal because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, then in the moment when we are faced with difficult and real choices, we will be able to get some perspective. And when you are in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, that you must make a decision, you have to have an answer, the inbreaking of God's Spirit will be able to remind you that you are loved and cherished. And so in this moment, you matter first to God. Amen. And then in verse 30, he goes, those who weep as though they did not weep. And then he says, lastly, those who buy as if they didn't own anything. He breaks human pursuits down into three categories, marriage, happiness, and possessions. And if you look at all people for all time, these are the three primary pursuits of people. Nothing is wrong with marriage, possessions, or happiness as we know it. But here's the reality. They are all in the process of fading away. Possessions will rust and be destroyed. Happiness is fleeting. It's an ever-changing target. And as we just said from the words of Jesus, they will not be given in marriage. It'd be like the angels, meaning marriage is temporary. Marriage is not a bad thing, but marriage is not a part of the age to come. Happiness, or in this case, dealing with suffering and tears, it pales in comparison to the joy that is waiting for you in the future age. And that age is finally and fully breaking through in Jesus and will finally and fully break through in his return. And possessions, we know they are temporary. Think of the things that probably have broken in the last several months. Maybe it's your truck, your car, a video game, <laughs> video game remoter. I mean, I mean, controller. I, I don't know. There are things that have broke in your life. I've got three kids, and I swear something breaks at least once a week. <laughs> things don't last. And so when we try to grasp after things that don't last, we're aiming at something that truly cannot satisfy our soul. So now we can personalize it. We have to ask, as we view our life, as we make choices, this may be an outdated question, but I think it's an appropriate question. Is now really the best time for the American dream? Think about it. We live in the height of human technology, and we are frustrated and lament that we cannot get rid of a virus. The point is, technology is not the apex. Ultimate freedom is not the apex. Sexual liberation is not the apex. God dwelling in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit as an overlap between the age that is passing away and the age that has come is the apex. That is the apex. To live at that intersection, you to embody that and say, I know things are passing away. I know things are decaying, but I am being renewed day by day by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I can live with eternity in mind and I can demonstrate that to a watching world. And as Paul sets up this thinking, he gets into the nuts and bolts of everyday life. In verse 32, he says, I want you to be without concern as he speaks to the unmarried or pre-married people. The reality presupposes that if you are married, you will have half the time that you do 
when you're single. Then throw some kids on top of that. Cut that in half again. I've got three kids and a wife, which means in terms of time availability, I'm operating on like 25% availability. Paul's not poo-pooing marriage or kids or commitment. What he's talking about is reality. When you are to yourself, unto your own, unto God, you have time. Paul is not shaming them. He's trying to help them understand reality. Your spouse and your kids are a gift from God, but they take time and money to love them well. I talked about the time. Some of you guys can go amen about the money. It takes time and money to love people well. And when you have your own family, it takes that, and you have less that you could spend on others. It takes sacrifice and serve. And here's the thing is Paul's present, Paul's proclamation is what he is saying is that he'd rather have you concerned about the things of God than the things of like the spousal relationship and creating enough time because we know that marriage takes work. He knows that having healthy relationships, especially marriage, takes work. Life is exhausting at times. And so he speaks to both the guys and the girls who are considering marriage at this time that he wants them to first and foremost be devoted to the Lord. See, no matter your status, no matter where you find yourself, Paul is drawing your eyes heavenward. Be devoted to the Lord internally. And as you are devoted to the Lord, then whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in, you'll be able to respond appropriately. This is why when I do premarital counseling with couples, I want them to write out a family vision that is framed by Jesus. Because practical choices will need to be made whether where family or ser- whether family or serving Jesus could be at odds. Because you could get into a conflict. Husbands, when you, maybe when you come home from work and somebody texts you and said, hey, there, there's a car broken down. And you've got to deal with that guilt of, do I go home and spend time with my family or do I step out and serve someone? Wives, maybe, maybe or women, maybe you know there, there's another mom in need. And you've got to wrestle. Do I show up and do child care for this mom and give up time with my own husband and my kids? Paul knows that the, when the rubber meets the road and as you weigh things of serving God versus serving your own family and loving them well, good gift from God, and doing that well, displaying that to the world, there will be challenges. You'll be forced to make difficult decisions. And Paul's saying, as those practical choices are made, that your attachment to Jesus will affect your choices, your ambition, and your agenda. And he's, and he's saying, I'm just going to be honest, it's a little bit easier when you don't have to weigh those choices. And in every situation, you can be, respond and be available to God precisely when he calls and when he needs and so Paul, being pastoral, says, if any man thinks he is acting improperly, he's struggle, struggling sexu- to stay sexually pure, and he and she is getting up in age, our transitions again, really, or our translations really struggle to translate this well, referring to her coming out kind of of the cultural marrying age and surpassing that, Paul saying that he and she should get married. See, marriage isn't an out-dot clause because of sexual struggling. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's first about being 
being committed to God. Marriage doesn't save. Jesus does. Paul then says that a man has settled in his own mind, means he's committed first to Jesus. There's clarity and this guy isn't leading on the woman. God's desire is for men and women to treat each other as first belonging to God, treating each other with clash, respect, and care as we treat each other as a family of Christ. So as we look at each other, as we build relationships, as you consider, God, how should I interact? I am, if, you, if those of you who are single go, how, how should I interact with this? The first and foremost commitment is to be devoted to the Lord and to treat others as a loved child of God, Amen. as a daughter of Christ, as a sister in Christ. And what Paul does is he actually lifts up singleness here. And when Paul is sharing this, he's, he's not encouraging you to be free from responsibility. Sometimes there's this, there's this myth that says, oh, just don't get married, stay single, do whatever you want, have, have no responsibility, don't be committed to anyone. Well, Paul is actually, he's lifting up singleness in this moment to be free for more responsibility. More responsibility to Christ. To stay single, to focus on expanding God's family. And some of you are freaking out because you've been told that life is about marriage. And that is the apex. But life does not begin at marriage. You do not need another person to complete you. You are completed first and foremost in Christ. And so much pain in marriage or in the process of getting married comes from attaching ourselves to others in ways that we are only meant to be attached to Jesus. We project on our spouse. We want them to be what only Jesus can be for us. As you think about, and even as you pursue marriage, as you think about relationships, for those of you who are single, and for those of you who are even married, much of your pain comes from wanting your spouse to be what only Jesus can be for you. And the challenge is to live with that perspective, to allow that to shape. So then, in the situation you find yourself in, you're not making decisions based on them being the saving person in your life. But Jesus is saving you, providing security and comfort. And so you don't have to return evil for evil or sly comment for snide comment. For passive aggressive act, for passive aggressive act. No, you can say they are loved by God and I will treat them as loved by God. So therefore, what Paul wants these people in Corinth to do is to discover their calling and identity because it shapes your will and helps you live responsibility. And once again, our worldview wants to creep into our lives. That calling and identity is not something that emerges from within. It's the overlap of God's call on every believer combined with how God has wired you. And so for those of you who are note takers, as we conclude this morning, I've got five questions. And maybe those of you who aren't note takers, maybe this is a good a way to begin filtering through as you have people in your life who are single or struggling with relationships, that you can take these down and use these to help drive conversation to discern how to best move forward. So what Paul asks and describes 
in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First, do I have the gift of singleness? It's a gift from God. That you have the ability by God to curb your sexuality, to live for Jesus. Some of you may want the gift and not have the gift. Some of you may not want the gift and have the gift. You may also have the gift for a time and not forever. If you have the gift of singleness, then some of these other questions just frankly don't apply, but it's good to have. But if the answer is no, again, gift of singleness then I think we can continue to ask these questions. As you pursue marriage or a relationship, is now the right time? Paul's talking practical here because he knows there's a famine in the land for them. And as he talks about the relationship of considering should you do this or not, you've got to take into account, are you able to support your family? thinking about the other person and their well-being is now the right time. Again, it's not an excuse to maybe practice some of the other influences in our world that says, oh, maybe together we will be economically stable, but rather to know that commitment to God and commitment that will produce a level of understanding about what it means for it to be the right time. Question three, can you see yourself with him or her for the rest of your life? And I'm not talking just the 10-year fixer-upper project or the 20-year, uh, maybe until we get a little bit older, but for life. Because if marriage is a representation of God's covenant love for us and his pursuit, then our marriages must be that type of picture. So not when it's convenient, not just when one of you get out of shape that you can then, oh, divorce because we don't feel like, ah, you don't look the same anymore. So let's, let's just end it, move on. No, it's a commitment for life. Question four, does he or she belong to the Lord? If I had to choose as I think through some of these questions, this is, this is the one for those of you who are single and know that you do not have the gift of singleness and are pursuing relationships. Does the person you are pursuing belong to the Lord? That is what Paul says when he gets to the end of verse 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband is, dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord Paul wants the person you pursue to not be the object of your affection as your savior or your saving grace, but he wants that person to be rooted and connected to Jesus first, to attach to Jesus, because as you are both then attached to Jesus, you will be able to live his will and his way best within the world. There's an analogy when I do counseling with couples they always say it's like at some point in your marriage, it's like two rams that are going to butt heads. And there's a wall that eventually develops 
Because as you grow and develop in situations and circumstances change, job change, children are introduced to the situation. If you constantly are just pursuing each other, chances are you will butt heads or you will hit a brick wall. And you'll feel like, why can't I break through? Why can't we grow any closer? And what I draw out is a little triangle that says what happens is that you are trying to run at each other and that will not actually produce your closeness. But when you both run after Jesus, when your eyes are fixed on him, when you are attached and rooted in him, you actually both discover healing and hope and closeness in your pursuit of Jesus. So those of you who are single, you need to pursue someone who is rooted in the Lord. And I don't always think we get to choose who we have affection for. But you do get to pick how much time you spend with certain people, how much mind time and mind space you spend thinking on certain people. And the challenge every person faces is the choice of spending time with people who aren't strong with Jesus rather than being lonely. Craving for relationship and intimacy is not bad. But you must trust that God can provide, that he can provide contentment and relationship and even intimacy in him and with his church. See, that's why relationships, dating, marriage, is a family business of the church. It's the ability to develop deep and meaningful relationships with each other because we all have a cry in our heart for intimacy, to be known, to be fully known. And it's misplaced when we put that in other people, but we can love and live well within the church when we develop long and sustained meaningful friendships to share with each other the value that each other have in Christ, to affirm the giftingness, to affirm the care, to, to say you are more than who you sleep with or who you are dating. You don't need anyone else to complete you. You are fully loved and enjoyed, and I like being in your presence precisely as you are who you are, whether you have a plus one or not. That is the call of the church, is to develop those relationships collectively as the family, to make sure every person feels valued and loved, and to trust that even in the moments of loneliness and isolation, that the Holy Spirit is placed in that believer to remind them that they are loved and valued and that they are not alone, but to live that in the in-between. And question number five, will marriage help me or hold me back? from God's call first in Christ on my life. See, marriage exists for mission. Adam could not carry out his mission embodied by himself. In Adam and Eve's union, they represent God's unity and mission to the world. This mutual mission is paramount. Marriage exists for mission, to represent God's love for the world, to pass on his image and likeness, his will and his way to others. And as I give those five questions, there's one that's probably noticeably absent. What question is not on the list? Am I in love? Love. God is not down on love. Paul is not down on love. But love is a luxury we only have in the West. Most people around the world view love differently. There's a great story about a man from the East 
take talking to a man from the West. He says, we put cold soup on a hot fire and it slowly becomes warm. He says, you, the people in the West, put hot soup on a cold plate and it becomes cool. Falling in love is not enough and is not reason enough to get married. The same as falling out of love is any reason to get a divorce. What Jesus says is to have an eternal perspective. And Paul applies that in this case to those considering marriage, to those married, to those who feel the pressure to define their lives based on their relationship status. What is God's will for your relationship status? It's to be first attached to him. And in your attachment to him, you will be able to find contentment and comfort that allows you then maybe to pursue relationship elsewhere. But whether you do or not, you are totally and fully complete in Christ. So you can live for the age to come because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good. I pray that we live for the age to come. There are so many influences in our world that say live for the now, live for the moment. I pray that we live for the age to come. That those in this room who are struggling with, should I pursue this dating relationship? Should I, should I get married? I'm single now. I find myself after many years single. What should I do? I pray that as they consider what's next, that they realize that the sum total of who they are is not whether they're married or not, but it's who they are in you. God, they are loved. May we all live loved. May we live with the hope of the eternal resurrection. Keep that in mind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.